0: Excited to to be here and share this morning with you. Um, you know we're we're from Florida, so outside temperature this is like sub zero for us. I think I saw some penguins out there. Um, but uh, just very excited to share our ministry with you. We're Adams Road, and all of us on stage grew up in the Mormon or LDS religion. We've come out of that religion into a personal relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, we'll share a little bit of our testimony, some original music, but we want to start off by singing a song you guys will recognize, a congregational hymn, um, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I am so moved by this song when I first heard it, uh, when I first became a Christian. um, The message, especially the Part where like my voice called out among the scoffers, and it was because of my sin that Jesus was hanging there on the cross. And so I just invite you guys to sing along with us here.
1: How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away wounds which more the chosen bring many sons to glory
2: Good morning. Are we doing well? Good. Well, we just want to just thank God for being here, for having this opportunity to share with you um, the immeasurable grace and love of God that's transformed our lives. And we're grateful for Pastor Jason. Uh, we actually met him three years ago in Texas. He's a Texan, if you can't tell by the way he talks. Um, <laughs> And uh, we were fortunate to be able to share our ministry at his church there. And so we're grateful to be here and just grateful that we serve an amazing God who loves us. Um, As Joseph mentioned, all of us grew up in a very strict religious system where we were taught and believed growing up that our right standing with God was dependent on our, you know, our goodness and our faithfulness and our merits and by our efforts that somehow we could earn and establish a right standing with God by proving ourselves to him. I remember growing up and having this desperate desire to have a relationship with God, to have God's love and his forgiveness and his grace, but not ever feeling like I could ever get there because I never felt like I could do enough. I was very zealous for God through my religion. I was very passionate as a young Mormon growing up. I was very much like Saul of Tarsus uh, in my zeal. In fact, Paul told the Galatians that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many people his own age. How extremely zealous was he for the traditions of his fathers? And so I spent my high school years actually just next door uh, over in Utah. My mother was a tenured professor at Brigham Young University, BYU. Uh, My dad was a high priest in the Mormon church. Our family was as entrenched and zealous in this religious culture as you could possibly be. When I was 19 years old, I went on a two-year Mormon mission trip. I put on my white shirt, my tie, and my name tag, and I went to Orlando, Florida for two years uh, as a Mormon missionary, uh, faithfully trying to convert other people to my religious beliefs, believing that salvation only came through the Mormon church. And I had been in Florida for about four months, and uh, God began to really start to work in my heart and my life. In fact, I got to the point as a Mormon missionary where I was so confident and so zealous that I actually attempted to convert a Baptist minister and his entire congregation. Of course, we know the Baptist more than anybody needs salvation, right? Amen. So we went to this church very, very sincerely believing that these people were unsaved and only we could bring them the message of salvation. And So I remember sitting through a Sunday evening service, and at the end of the service, we came and introduced ourselves to the head pastor, and his name was Alan Benson. I remember meeting Pastor Benson and shaking his hand and saying, Pastor Benson, we're missionaries from the Mormon Church, and we'd love to sit down with you and share with you a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Pastor Benson just got this big smile on his face, kinda got a twinkle in his eye, and he said, gentlemen, I would love to sit down and talk with you about the gospel. Now, in my naivety, my first thought was, man, God has really softened and prepared this man's heart to receive the message of Mormonism. So I was looking forward to this experience. And so we scheduled a meeting and come back the following day. And I'll never forget that experience of meeting Pastor Benz. this was in 2004. I was 19 years old. And uh, I remember meeting him and just being taken back by his approach to us and the way that he treated us. And he, he was so different, he was so removed from most of the people that I had encountered up to that point in my two-year mission. And I'll tell you what was different about him and unique about him, what set him apart, was that from him and through him, I felt a very genuine, a very sincere, and a very Christ-like love. And, and I have to emphasize that because it is such a crucial element to the remainder of my testimony. You know, pastor was talking about this church is not, it's not an organization, right? It's a family and that's who we are in Christ. In fact, Jesus said by this, will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Right there is our greatest challenge of discipleship is to have a love within us that reflects the love of God that he poured upon us even when we were his enemies. I met a lot of people in my Mormon mission who claimed to be Christians. I met a lot of people who said they were Christ followers, and many of them were not kind to us. Uh, they would slam doors in our face. They would tell us that we were in a cult, that we were going to hell, and they wanted nothing to do with us. And, and that was my you know, experience in, in response to meeting people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. I can tell you right now, church, those are not the people that God used to reach me. Those are not the people that showed me the love of God, and yet in the church and in Christ, we are to reflect and and to be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ to the world. And that's a love that should separate us from any other people group. You understand that people should know and identify the church of Christ because we have a love that far surpasses anything that anybody else has. Because we have God's love in us. We have the truth of God's love manifest in the flesh through his only begotten son, Jesus. I met Pastor Benson, I was genuinely moved by that love. I sat down with him and I desperately tried and attempted to convert him to my religious system to to try to tell him that there were laws and works and ordinances and things that we had to do in addition to what Jesus did on the cross in order to be right with God. And I shared all these things with Pastor Benson, I didn't know how he was gonna respond or what he was gonna say. And he looked at us and he said, look, you guys are obviously very sincere, you're very dedicated to your belief system. He said, I commend you for the fact that you Mormon missionaries are willing to give up two years of your young lives, go door to door, talk to strangers about what you believe. He said, honestly, I wish that more Christians would have the same type of zeal for their faith that you Mormons do for yours. And I think about that and I've thought about that a lot over the last you know, 12 years, 14 years of my life and realize that's a challenge to us in the church, is it not? To see people like the Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Mormons, and we see this zeal that they have for God, and although that zeal is misplaced, it is not according to knowledge. It's a zeal that we should have, but we should have a greater zeal than anybody else in the world, because we have something that nobody else has, and that is good news. It's the gospel, it's that which is the power of God, into salvation to everyone who believes. I remember he looked at me square in the eyes, and he said, but... The message that you just shared with me is not the good news. The message that you're telling people door to door is not the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, that was a hard thing for me to hear. I'd never before heard that my entire life. I'd never had my faith and the foundation of my testimony questioned before, and that's exactly what Pastor Benson was doing in love. Pastor Benson continued on, and he said and did something that I believe was the greatest display of love that he could have shown, and that's that he opened up the word of God And he opened up to the New Testament, and he shared and ministered to me and my Mormon mission companion the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there, as a 19-year-old Pharisee, as a soul-like religious zealot, for the, the first time in my entire life, in that moment, in Pastor Benson's office, I heard the gospel message. And I'm so grateful to God for Pastor Benson, for the love that he showed and poured upon a young Pharisee, that he wasn't afraid to open his mouth. He wasn't afraid of telling me about the goodness and grace of God through Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that he planted that seed in my heart and was willing to take a chance and to uh, give me the good news of Jesus at a time in my life when I desperately needed it. And the reality of my situation was that I was 19 and I had never heard the gospel. And it's not because I didn't know Christians growing up. I grew up in the Midwest in Indiana. I had a lot of Christian friends, extended family, I knew a lot of people who were Christ followers. And yet not one of them had ever sat me down or anybody in my family and told them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And there was something greater other than the legalistic work that I believed was going to save me. And I hope that's a challenge to you because it's a challenge to me that I, I know a lot of people in my life that don't know Jesus, and it's really easy for us to see people that that we just don't believe that God can ever change, right? And we see that person and we say, "Oh man, God's never going to change a person like that. They're too stubborn. They're too far removed from the reaches of His God's grace." And we label those people as just being unsavable and unchangeable. And what happens is it causes us to to not open our mouths to not reveal to them the goodness of God through Christ Jesus and, and to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet we have to remember that that's what we're called to do. I mean, our, our entire purpose is to, to fulfill the Great Commission, to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. We can't be afraid to do that. and We can't be afraid to tell people that we may think are never going to change because guess what? God can change anybody. And that's the reality of the gospel message and, and the truth of Christ is that the gospel can change even the people that we think are the most unchangeable. And I know that because that was me. Maybe it was you. Everybody in here that now knows Christ was once his enemy, right? Yet God saw fit in his love and mercy, compassion, kindness to offer Jesus as the ransom for your sins, to pay that penalty on your behalf to offer himself for you to do for you what you would never be able to do for yourself. And that love, it changes people. It's transformed me, It's made me a new creation. So when you see those people in your life, it doesn't matter what you think about them. It doesn't matter if you think they're too far removed from being saved because God can save them. And if He saved the apostle Paul, he can save anybody, trust me. And so I sat there with Pastor Benson and I heard the, God, the, the good news, the, the gospel message for the first time in my life and about the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of my sin. And he shared with me the good news in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He told me that Jesus had stepped in my place as my substitute on the cross of Calvary, that he had bore in his body my sins on the tree so that I could die to sin and live to righteousness, that by his wounds I could be healed, that even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we can, can be justified by his grace as a gift the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that my hope and my salvation my redemption was not in myself or my goodness or my righteousness or or by my merits or efforts but it was in and through the merit of Jesus Christ and in and through that one act of righteousness through his offering on the cross and I heard that message and I just remember thinking that's too simple and Brad and I were talking about this this morning. It's like so many people in this world, they reject the gospel because they can't accept the simplicity of what it is, right? And, and countless people, they, they overshoot it because they overcomplicate what God has always intended to be very simple. And that is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so that's the paradox and the predicament that the gospel presents is that it goes against everything that we're taught in our lives. It goes against our very human nature and understanding because why would God... Send Jesus Christ who is guiltless, who is perfect, who is blameless, and and, and through whom he created all things, that he would be made lower than the angels of heaven, that he would humble himself and be obedient to the point of death on a cross, that he would be beaten and scourged and mocked and have a crown of thorns placed on his head and then put on the cross for the world to see on public display and endure the most humiliating and excruciating and painful death that the world has ever known doesn't make sense does it and he did that for us those who were guilty of that condemnation and yet that's why it's good news to the world that's the love of God that surpasses all knowledge is that he would take that love and he would put it into the man Christ Jesus he would say I will show you my love for you God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us even when we were his enemies that he would reconcile us to him by the death of his own son. I couldn't believe that at that point in my life because it it contradicted everything that I'd ever been taught. I told Pastor Benson he was a fool for believing in this this free gift of grace and uh, I told him if he didn't join the Mormon church he was going to hell. Especially because he was a Baptist, you know? At the end of our meeting, I stormed out of his office, very frustrated, convicted by the gospel message. And as I was leaving, he stopped me, looked at me, he said, look, Elder Wilder, you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to take my word for anything that's been said here today. He said, I challenge you, I invite you, go home, pick up the Bible for yourself and read it like a child. And he said, I promise you that if you do that, God is going to change your life. And he's going to open your eyes and he's going to reveal to you what the good news of Jesus really is. And so at the peak of my religiosity, my arrogance, my pride, as a very religious man, that was the challenge that I was given, to read the Bible as as a child. And I accepted wholeheartedly Pastor Benson's challenge and his invitation, but I have to be honest with you, it wasn't because I was humble or childlike. It wasn't because I had this special faith. It wasn't because I thought that I needed to learn anything. It's because I thought that reading the Bible was only going to solidify what I already knew, and then I would go back to Pastor Benson's office and prove that he was wrong. And I was so looking forward to that day. So that was the entire catalyst of how this entire change in my life began. And that's when God started to change me because every morning from that point forward, I sat down at my desk all by myself as a Mormon missionary with the King James Version of the Bible, and I read the New Testament for the remainder of my two-year Mormon mission trip every day, 20 months. And in those 20 months, I read the New Testament from cover to cover 12 times by myself I had no Christian pastor to walk me through this process. I I had no Christian websites or books or devotionals or anything other than the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and let me tell you, that's all that I needed. I think sometimes we get away from the power of God's Word in our lives, and yet as living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So I sat there every morning reading the Bible, believing that it was going to teach me what I already knew, And then God used his word to begin to wash me with the water of that word, to take away the scales and the blindness from my eyes and to reveal to me the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And the thing that that changed my life, and and it's this simple, it really is. The message that I came to know was that God loved me. I know that sounds simple. But that's what the gospel teaches. That's what the word of God is. That's what the New Testament, you can't read the New Testament and not walk away knowing that God loves you personally, intimately. And because of that love, he sent Jesus Christ to to pay the price for your sins, to be that ransom for you so that through faith in him, you could be given the right to become a child of God remember reading 1 John 4 where it says God is love, and it says that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's as simple as the gospel of Jesus changing my heart. As God showed me that he loved me, that all the things that I was trying to do to earn his love and his grace and forgiveness, that I could have them not based on what I do, but based on what Jesus Christ had done. And that if I trusted and believed and had faith in the name of Jesus, then I could be given the assurance and the guarantee of my right standing with God, independent of any religious system or authority or or of the law that could never save me, but completely dependent on Jesus Christ, who was my redemption. So with three weeks left my two-year Mormon mission trip, I came to that saving faith in Jesus. I was born again through the Spirit of God. I died to my old self. I was raised into newness of life. And like the Word says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so now is this new creation in Christ Jesus, but I was in a very difficult and unique predicament of being a born-again Christian and a Mormon missionary. It doesn't work that way. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to come forward, how to tell people about this change that God had made in my life. And honestly, I was terrified. My mother at the time was a world-renowned, tenured professor at Brigham Young University. My father was a high priest in the Mormon church. He was a temple worker. My older older brothers had faithfully served Mormon missions. I had a scholarship and a career path through BYU, through that Mormon university. Everything that I knew, everything that I loved, every aspect of my culture, my friends, my family, my relationships was rooted in this religion. And so I said, God, what do I do? How do I tell people? And this was God's answer. Just days later, after I'd come to Saving Faith, it's tradition that when you have about three weeks left of this two-year mission trip, you have the opportunity to stand in front of all your missionary peers and your Mormon leaders, and you're supposed to share your testimony of what you've learned throughout the course of your two-year mission. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you think it's funny. I did not. (laughs) So that was God's answer my prayer was literally to put me publicly at a pulpit in a Mormon church in front of 60, 70 Mormon missionaries, my Mormon leaders, and to share my testimony. Well, obviously, my testimony had radically changed because I had lost all faith and testimony in that religious system but gained all faith and testimony in Jesus alone. So I stood up there, weak and small and simple, shaking at this pulpit, and uh, God gave me the opportunity to tell them what I had done, uh, what he had done in my life and to the praise and the glory of God by his strength. And we always want to emphasize that from that moment on, I realized that I could never do anything outside of the grace of God and outside of his strength given to us in our weakness. And in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And I stood up there and I, I basically said, the one thing that I've learned over the course of my two-year mission is that Jesus is all that I need, that he is enough, that he is my salvation, that I'm saved by his grace, not by my works, and that for the first time in my life, I was able to say, I know that I'm forgiven. I don't have to fear or wonder, have that uncertainty of whether or not I've done enough because I know that I never will do enough, but Christ has done everything for me. So I shared that testimony. Two days later, my Mormon uh, leader called me on the phone and said, hey, we need to have a chat. (laughs) And so things got very serious very quickly as, of course, I realized and knew in that moment that if I was forthcoming about the changes that God had made in my life, that I was going to lose all of those things that had become my identity, just like Saul of Tarsus, you know, as a Jew, that was his identity. It's who he was. This is who I was. My family, my friends, my relationships, my scholarship, my career path, my girlfriend, everything that I was, my very identity as a human being. And yet Jesus says to his disciples, to each one of us, take up your cross. If you want to be my disciple, then take up your cross and come after me and follow me, and lose your life so that you can find it, because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And so we receive that free gift of God's love through the name of Jesus and that forgiveness that comes with it, and yet when we do, we then are to take up our cross and to follow our Lord Jesus at whatever cost that may be. And I was terrified of losing myself Losing what I knew, what I loved, but I also knew that God was offering me something in Christ that nothing else in the world could. And for those of you that know Jesus, that know what he offers, then you know that nothing else in the world compares to that. There's no relationship, there's no spouse, there's no child There's no friend or family member or or job or career path or or any amount of money or wealth or reputation or fame in the world that can compare to the surpassing worth of what we have in Christ Jesus. That's what God started to show me. It doesn't matter what you give up. It doesn't matter what you lose, what you walk away from, because what you gain in me will satisfy every need that you will ever have. I'm sure you saw in all of our materials up there and everything else, Jesus is enough is kind of a theme of ours. And it's not just a catchy slogan or or a phrase for a bumper sticker, it's the gospel. It's coming to recognize the sufficiency that Jesus is for all things. To lose the world, to gain Christ is the greatest trade that you will ever make. And it's always worth it. So for us as the church to take up our cross and to say we will follow Jesus no matter what, whatever we lose, whatever we give up. And I know it's hard sometimes in America and the freedom that we have and and, and we praise God for that freedom, but we have to make sure that that freedom doesn't become our stumbling block because sometimes that freedom causes complacency and apathy for us in the gospel and we lose our urgency and yet we see brothers and sisters in Iraq and Iran and Syria and Libya and Egypt and places like that where literally their lives are at stake every day for their profession of Jesus Christ and they willingly daily go to their own martyrdom knowing that what they have in Christ is worth the loss of their own life and I hope that you know that and I hope that even though we don't have to face that daily, that we have that same hope, that same faith within us to say, I know that the gospel is more valuable than anything that I could ever give up to gain it." And if God calls me to lose a friend or a job or wealth or a home or a child or a wife or whatever, that we give that up willingly for the cause of Christ, knowing that our gain in heaven and the riches that we have in Christ it far surpasses anything that we will ever lose so that was the hope that God gave me I will satisfy you just come after me I will give you a life that will give you whatever you need according to my purpose for you and so I went before my Mormon leader and I told him I don't need the Mormon church to be saved I don't need any religious system or authority I just need the gospel I just need Jesus it's amazing In that moment for me, it was terrifying. My Mormon leader was somebody of great prominence. He was somebody who had a PhD. He was a doctor. He was very well-educated. He was very intelligent. And here I came, somebody with no formal training, no theology, whatever, but I knew Jesus. And the Spirit of God was in me. And in fact, before I went to that meeting, I read in Luke where Jesus says that, don't prepare beforehand the things to say, but I will give you a mouth and a wisdom. And God gave me a mouth and a wisdom. I think sometimes we emphasize and focus too much on the intellectual side that we forget the simplicity of the gospel that, just like Paul said, I didn't come to you speaking words of of lofty wisdom, but I came to you speaking nothing but Christ and him crucified. So I told my Mormon leader about Christ and him crucified. I told him I didn't need any earthly man to mediate between me and God, that there was one God and one mediator between God and men, and that was the man Christ Jesus. The result of my testimony was that I was kicked off my two year Mormon mission. I was shamefully put on a plane, sent home, had to face the reality of the cost of discipleship and God's started to use me in my weakness to plant the seed of the gospel in the hearts of the people that I loved. Uh, first one was actually my, my Mormon girlfriend, whom I love dearly. Uh, she also came to saving faith in Jesus. We actually ran away and eloped following my Mormon mission. Uh, we've been married for almost 13 years. We have three sons, 11, 10, and eight, and they're all back home in Florida while we're traveling. My family, I had to tell them what God had done in my life, that Jesus was enough to read the word of God, to take that challenge that Pastor Benson had given me, and God started to work in their heart Matt over here is actually one of my older brothers, uh, so you can figure out what happened to him. Uh, And God began to work in the hearts of my sister. She also came to saving faith. And my mother and my father to this day have also left the Mormon church and embraced Jesus Christ alone by faith. To the praise and glory of God. So to go back to what I said at the beginning, God can save anybody. The gospel is powerful and uh, as it says in big bold letters on the side of our tour bus, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes.
0: Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. <laughs>
1: I no.
3: Matt. I'm Micah's brother. Glad to be here and share uh, briefly what God has done in my life. I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He he came to me and pursued me and knocked on the door of my heart. And it seems more like uh, he broke in rather than I let him in, but uh, he just came into my life and revealed his love to me in, in a powerful and intimate way and changed me forever. And the biggest difference, before I knew Christ, I didn't know if I was saved. I didn't know if I was forgiven. I didn't know what would happen if I died. After I was saved, I knew God loved me. I knew I was forgiven. I knew I had eternal life. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come in a judgment, but is passed from death to life. And that is good news says in second Corinthians five twenty one, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteousness, the righteousness of God. Let's worship together.
1: was released from my guilty charges and the king of all creation was crucified for my salvation but this man has done no wrong he who knew no sin was made sin Uh, So that we in Him are God's righteousness It's not fair that He would die for me The guilty Uh, and the bride fully condemned He was crucified so so I'd be innocent. innocent It's not fair nothing. That Christ would become a curse for us to redeem and call us blessed. blessed. And, and all, all our sins, sins have been come. that a Christ, no, no condemnation, it's not fair.
4: Hi everybody, my name is Lila LeBaron, and I was actually born and raised in Chihuahua, Mexico, in a small polygamous community of fundamental Mormons. Polygamy meaning that my father had many wives, and my mom was the first wife out of four. And so I guess you can imagine growing up in this family and in this community, I had many brothers and sisters. Actually, in total, we're 33. And out of those 33, there's only two of us that have a relationship with Jesus. So if you think about it, I'd appreciate prayers for my family. And I grew up in a very broken community and in a very broken family. A broken community because of living so close to the borderline, there is much violence within the drug trafficking and the drug cartels. And within my own family, I was watching the way that my father would discipline my brothers. And the way that he would do it was he would beat them to the point that I was afraid for their lives. And so as a child, instead of being happy and excited for my father to come home and want to embrace him with a hug, instead I'd want to run away and hide because I felt like if I wasn't doing something good to please him, that he wasn't going to love me. And I want to pause and say that I love my, my Father and that I've forgiven him and that as followers of Jesus, we are called to love those who are hard to love and to forgive those who are hard to forgive. Because we've been forgiven such a great debt, we are called to offer that same forgiveness to the people around us. But it was about this fear that was being built in my heart It affected the way that I saw my heavenly father. I thought that this God, his love for me, it was conditional upon my obedience to him. And so as a child, it caused me to cry out at night and beg God to forgive me of my sins. Because even at that young age, God began to show me that there was no hope found in myself. There was no hope found in my family or my community or in this religion. It couldn't offer me the peace and the hope and the love that I knew that I desired. God began to draw me to himself. And so when I was about 10 years old, my mom and dad got divorced and that gave my mom the freedom to search other places for the truth. And so she ended up taking me to a small Christian Bible study with my aunt and uncle. And that's where I began to read the Bible, literally as a child. And those were the first Christians that I'd ever met in my entire life. And I just remember walking into their home and just feeling like they loved me and that they cared for me. And that caused me to want to know about the God that they worshipped. And it caused me to wonder where they were receiving this love. And so I remember reading in 1 John 4:18 where it says that there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so as a child I never learned what it meant to be loved unconditionally. And so I started to read about this Heavenly Father, about this perfect love that would cast out all fear, and that I could be a child of God and have a perfect Heavenly Father. And so through, through years of reading the Bible and being washed by the water of the word and having that fear cast out through the word of God, I finally received it when I was 13 years old and I wanted to make it public to my friends and my family and my community that I was a follower of Jesus and so I was baptized by my uncle and that small Christian Bible study that I told you about and turned into a church building and it's the only Christian church in that polygamous community in Chihuahua, Mexico my aunt and uncle are still down there to that day proclaiming the word and so I shared the gospel with my family and that came at the cost of of just those relationships just breaking and not being the same and they rejected it because it was too simple and they couldn't receive the love of a Heavenly Father and so I continue to pray for my brothers and sisters and I hold the hope that they will to come to know uh, Jesus and so I began to serve in that Bible study and to help with the worship, and then my pastor introduced me to the Adams Road ministry and connected us, and so then God opened the doors for me to be a part of the the ministry three years ago, and so now I've been doing this ever since with him, and I just praise God that he can use the simple and the foolish and the weak things of this world, and he raises them up in newness of life and uses them for his will and purpose, and so... I found a new home in Jesus, so if you have Jesus, then you're my home, and to him be all the glory.
0: Okay, so we have a couple quick announcements. Um, by the way, I wanna say, this guy, he did a good job, man. So, he's cracking jokes, and that was, that was awesome. I like that, so we're gonna have him come up and do our announcements now. Oh, I'm just playing. Okay, so our website is adamsroadministry.com, and I encourage you to get on there. You're going to find tons of things, our testimonies, our music, um, our calendar, and you can see we have a very um, extensive nine weeks ahead of us, so we'd love your prayers, and if you know anybody that's in those areas um, that you can connect with, we'd love to—you can find all the information on our website. So all of our music's available on our website, 10 albums. You can download all of them for free, and we have our latest copy of our album, The Son of Man, for each of you this morning, so if you look under your chair, you can find a—I'm just playing, they're not there. They're, <laughs> they're at the table out there. So please, after the service, come out there. We would love to personalize those, sign those for each of you, and if someone wasn't able to make it this morning, you want to get one for them as well, we'd love to do that. And so look for me, and I'll start the CD line, and if you can help us, start that line, and then we'll pass it down and each sign it for you. Um, at our, oh, Is anybody a fan of Hall & Oates? out there by, the, by any chance. I know that's a strange question. I know the younger generation's thinking, is that a cereal brand or something? <laughs> and so Hall & Oates is this uh, very popular band in the 70s and 80s, Well, Charlie DeChant is their sax player, and this is him in our recording studio because he lives in Orlando and he's featured on one of the songs on the latest Son of Man album and the, and the last two before that as well. So there's something that you get to look forward to when you listen to our music. Um, at our table, we have a bunch of other free stuff um, that all say Jesus is enough. So you can get your Jesus enough paraphernalia there, like stickers say, that say it. You can put on your phones. There's wristbands, like tons of stuff. Um, and then across the way, you'll see another table with T-shirts. We started a ministry called Jesus is Enough Storehouse, and instead of taking the money um, from those proceeds going to our ministry, we partnered with Compassion International and Food for the Hungry. So all of the proceeds when you buy a T-shirt go to supporting these children. Um, all over the world, and so there's a lot of designs and colors, and so we can help you with that. Um, Adult t-shirts are 15, and youth are 10, so just something that you can consider. Um, So my name is Joseph, and I'm excited to share how God has changed my life over the next three hours, so I hope you're comfortable. The pastor said we could go a little over time, so I'm just playing. We probably have about uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes left. So I grew up in Utah, in a very strong Mormon family, and um, strong Mormon community, and everything I knew was this religion. So when I turned 19, I went on my mission, and I was sent to Orlando, Florida. So right at the beginning of my mission, I met Micah. Remember, Micah's sitting right here to my left. That's a picture of us as missionaries. I know you're laughing because I look like 12 or 13 years old there. <laughs> He's not eight old enough to be on the mission. So Um, Micah and I became really close friends and um, he gave me that challenge to read the New Testament like a child that was what God used to change my life and I thank God that he used Micah in that powerful way and so to read it like a child what does that mean I always was taught that the Bible was true as far as it was translated correctly that's what we were taught and so I never trusted the Bible completely but to read it like a child meant that I had to approach it and let God teach me and allow him to fill my cup, approach him with an empty one. So I first started to see my sin, and that was a very difficult thing for me. I I thought I was a good and righteous person, but I wasn't. I had to see the depth of my sin in order to see how much I needed Jesus So Jesus gives a parable in Luke 18, and he talks about two men. And I feel like this was a picture of who I was at the time in my life and who God was going to change me into. And Jesus says that two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, "'God, I thank you that I'm not like other men.'" that's a picture of my transformation, of how God brought me from a man that trusted in my own works and my own um, goodness and righteousness and always falling short, and then into the man that would trust in God's righteousness and only ask God for mercy, recognizing that I was a sinner. Those two years of my life, God changed me through his word. God used Micah, to walk me down that path and lead me to Christ. I get off of my mission after the two years are done, and shortly after that, I receive Jesus through faith. I surrender myself to his will, and I become a willing slave of Christ Jesus. So now I started to count the cost. What is it gonna cost me to follow Jesus? Because he tells us to do that. For me, it was relationships. I didn't know what was gonna happen with my family. I didn't know how it was gonna disappoint them if they were gonna disown me. All I knew was that Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So I had to set those relationships up on an altar, sacrifice them to God, and allow him to do whatever he will. The result was it destroyed those relationships, and even 12 years later, I'm the only believer in my family but I pray for their salvation. I pray for their hearts to be changed. And I say this to encourage you, if you have loved ones in your life that you're trying to reach, don't give up on them. And trust that God has a time and, and and his will is that all will repent and come to that salvation. So I get off of my, uh, out of Utah, I get back to Florida. We start this ministry. Micah and Matt's sister, Katie, had come to know the Lord Jesus. She flies out to Florida to visit her brothers and she meets me first. And so we fell in love and we got married. And so that's Katie and I, the brothers are stuck with me. Sorry guys. (laughs) And so we've been married almost 11 years now. Um, We don't have any kids. We do have two cats though. So there they are, 10 and eight. Anyway, (laughs) something that gave me a lot of encouragement. If you guys will please follow me back into Micah's testimony. Remember Micah, he said that he stood up in front of that room full of missionaries and witnessed of Jesus. What he didn't tell you was, I was one of the missionaries sitting in that audience. And I heard that witness. And then Micah asked all of us a question that this morning I would like if each of you would ask yourself what he asked us. Don't you think that while Jesus was on the cross, that he saw your face. Don't you think that he looked into your eyes and said, I love you and I would die for you so that you could live. I wasn't a believer when I heard that, but I was so moved by God's love and I wanted to understand what he was talking about. I remember sitting there and thinking, what does he have in his life that I'm missing? Whatever that is, how do I get that? And what I was missing was a personal relationship with Jesus, my first love. And I found him as I read the word of God as a child. Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of God's love and how deep it is for us. Shown through Christ Jesus and the suffering that he underwent in our place as our substitute. It says he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then later in that chapter, it says that when his soul makes that offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. That's how I knew the depth of God's love for me. That's the depth of love that God has for each of us. Then in Isaiah 49, a few chapters earlier, the question is asked Can a woman forget her nursing child? Well, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. So now we know how personal God's love is for us. And God assures us of our salvation, of our standing before God by when we trust in Jesus alone, because Jesus says of those that receive him by faith, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have been engraved in the hands of Jesus, and this is permanent. This is something I, I wanted. I yearned for all of my life. I always wanted to know, have I done enough? I feared death because I didn't know where I would go if I died at any moment. Maybe someone here this morning is in that same situation. You don't know what your standing is before God. What's the answer to the question if you're to walk out of this church right now and get hit by a bus? And, well, not our bus, though. Okay. <laughs> But what if you got hit by a bus right now and died? Would you be with God or would you not? And there's no time to waste. It doesn't matter what your background is. Even if you grew up in the Christian church and you've heard this message over and over, but you never realized that Jesus did it all for you, or you grew up in a different religion like us, or you don't know what to believe in. Whatever the case is, Jesus invites us and he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so you've heard our stories this morning of how we've found that rest and that peace with God. Now we no longer fear death. We welcome it because then we'd be with the Lord. But while we're here on this earth, we have a job to do. When we have this this change happen in our lives, when we take the communion, this is a beautiful picture of us symbolically eating Jesus' flesh, drinking his blood, and also when we do that, we're taking on ourselves the name of Christ. When we take that holy, sacred name on ourselves, what are we doing with that name? Are we taking it out into the world and proclaiming that name to all creation? Or are we remaining idle? And have we taken his name in vain? We need to examine ourselves. Where do we stand If we say we're a Christian, shouldn't we be doing the very thing that he asked us to do before he left? Because when he comes back, he's going to be expecting us to be doing that very thing. Fulfilling the Great Commission. Maybe this church has missionaries they send out that you can support. If you can't physically go out, maybe there's someone in your life you can share Jesus with. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to take up your cross. is to tell people about Jesus. This last song is called, I Would Die For You. And it's a very personal song for me. Because when Micah asked that room full of missionaries that question, I wrote it down. It became this song. And this is the first song Adams Road ever wrote. And it was written while I was a Mormon missionary, and I was still an enemy of God. And I didn't understand the lyrics that the Holy Spirit was bringing out. But we made a recording of it. And I listened to that recording over the months following And God used it to draw me into a relationship with him. I get off of my mission, I listen to that song, and it was as if it was for the first time. Only then did I understand the message of that song. And this is the message. It's not about a religion. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. So as we sing this, imagine Jesus on the cross looking into each one of your eyes and saying, I love you, and I would die for you so that you could live. Don't you think that I can see you struggling? Don't you think that I can feel your pain? I hear your cries every time in the middle of the night. You're calling out my name. Can't you feel my arms wrapped around you? Holding you close so you can't feel the cold I know it's hard to feel my presence Sometimes in this world
1: But ask yourself Whose face did you think that I was looking into When I was hanging on the cross And whose life did you think was passing right before my eyes as I paid your
0: cost? And I looked into your eyes and told you of my love. For you to live, I would die for you.
1: With all the stripes and the beatings I never had to question why why. I just thought of you and my love overflowed And my pain passed on by So come to me with your burdens right here on my shoulders, and let me lift you up and carry you away with me, away with me, whose face did you think that I was looking into when I was hanging on the cross? Right before
0: my eyes As I paid your cost And I looked into your eyes And told you of my
5: love
0: For you to live I would die for For you
1: And don't you think that I saw your face When I was hanging there, my child And don't you think that I looked into your eyes All the while Whose face did you think that I was looking into When I was hanging on the cross And whose life did you think Was passing right before my eyes As I paid your cost And I looked into your eyes And told you of my love for you to live, I would die for you, oh, for you. For you to live, I would die for you.
5: Church, would please, um please stand? Hey, we want to make sure as you guys head out, uh, there is a free CD that we want you to pick up that Adams Road wants to give to you. Uh, there's a full crowd in here today, and so please be patient with us. Uh, if you have little ones, maybe in the nursery, uh, one of the things you could do is you can actually exit through this left door. If you see that over there, it says exit. That's the door, and you can just walk right around and get your kids and, and be able to to, uh, to pick them up, because I know our volunteers, they love your kids, but they've loved your kids. <laughs> and so, so please take that. And so as we head out uh, through the center doors, just be patient as, as we go out. Uh, let me just conclude with this. We're so glad you guys are here. Uh, the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. And not just unto salvation for eternal life, but for every single day, that whatever you're dealing with today, you have to ask yourself, what am I looking to to save me? And truly trusting in Jesus? Whether it's financial, relational, whatever it's going on, f- would we just say, Father, would you, would you, through Jesus Christ, as you've accepted me, would you continue to empower me to trust in Jesus? Let me pray for us, and I'm gonna dismiss this. Father, I thank you for the power of the gospel. And I just confess so often, Father, it's easy to trust in, in what makes sense to us, but we trust in you. And so, Father, for anyone here, I pray today that the Spirit would say, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. I don't want to trust in myself again. I don't want to go in a path that just goes in my own wisdom, but instead, would the power of the gospel bring new life into my heart, recognizing I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? Father, would you confirm that in us? And if we've prayed that today, would we take the opportunity to speak to someone? Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it's great to see you guys here. Have a great week.